We just got one more weekend left at Monmouth, Saturday and Sunday. And it's been a great meet. It's been fun to be covering it all along. Want to just highlight your attention. They're going to be great racing to wrap up the meet. They're also doing a food truck timber fest. Food trucks are back one last time. 20 trucks, two-day festival to close out the meet. Free parking and admission. For more, be sure to check out www.monmouthpark.com. And we'll be back with a segment covering closing Saturday later in the week. Horse Player Happy Hour is back, and we are thrilled to be in the midst of another great year of contests and camaraderie. Do not miss out on a great opportunity to support thoroughbred aftercare charities while also building your own opportunity to qualify for the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Stay tuned to the In The Money Media Network for more details. Game should be up soon. Horseplayers.com, the place to sign up. In the Money Players podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, September 5th, also known in many quarters as the saddest day of the year. The longest point we have to wait for racing at Saratoga. Though we might not have to wait as long as usual. We'll get there. And we'll also look back at a busy weekend of racing up here. We finally got some nice weather and uh, we had some great racing too. I'm looking forward to chatting about that with a man from the other side of town. He's getting ready. He's about to uh, do some traveling, but he's here with us this morning. He's Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, JK? PTF, yeah, it is, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's the, it's the fastest eight weeks. It's such a weird deal because the eight weeks flies by. However, things that happen opening week feel like they happened three years ago. So that's <laughs> an odd sensation. Yes. And it's, so it's the fastest eight weeks. And then it's the slowest, what, 44 weeks um, <laughs> after it. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I'm ready for a break to be fair, but yes. I'm not like ready for it to be over. I'm just ready for like, I'm like ready for like a week off and not even just like a week off of working. The working's not hard. It's a week off of like, just like having yeah. something to do five yeah. days a week. You know what I mean? It's, it, it gets, it gets to be a lot and the people, I had several people up here, and I think I hear this more as I get older. This could even be our 10-year generation gap coming, actually only nine. I'm, I'm going to give myself credit for that extra year, that people come and visit now and they say, they say, oh, my God, a weekend in Saratoga. I'm exhausted. I'm going to sleep for a week. How do you do this for eight weeks? <laughs> and it is, it's fun, but it ain't easy. I feel a little – I'm a little rough and rattled. You know, I'm up – up about 15 pounds and ready for a routine. Some of it for me too is obviously incredibly wonderful to have parent here, wouldn't trade it for the world. But when the kid isn't in school, the work, the other work outside of the recording, you know, all those other things, a lot of things get pushed back. I have about six media plans I'm supposed to put together for people and couple of book, manuscripts to read and things that I said I was going to do that I go, I'm so optimistic. Oh, I'll find time in Saratoga. Somehow you don't always find time for these things in Saratoga, but I'm super envious of you getting to uh, uh, leave the country for a minute. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we, we rushed back from the wedding for Belmont. So 
we um we rushed back to the wedding for Belmont, so we're gonna we're gonna honeymoon now. But so we were gonna go to the south of France, but we felt like after Saratoga, like the last thing I really want to do right now is feel like I need to go to Monaco and to like and to and to Saint Tropez and to Nice. You know, like you have to if you go to the south of France, like you have to bounce around to hit all the spots. And I didn't, I was we weren't in the bounce around mood, so we're just gonna go back to Italy, one place, post up, chill. So oh. uh, it's gonna be fun. Envy, envy, envy. That's it's actually it's actually the best way to end the meet because, like you said, like today today for most is the saddest day because you have to wait an entire you know forty four weeks until Saratoga again. But like my brain is, oh, I'm I'm going to Italy, so like I don't. It's it's a it's a nice letdown. Nothing's official yet, but it does sound like we will not have to wait forty four weeks. It sounds like. The A number one plan for Naira, seen endorsed by uh, by uh, folks over there and, and printed in the printed in the paper, is that they will they'd like to just get this Belmont construction done as opposed to taking breaks and and it makes sense. It's hard to take breaks in the middle of doing something like getting a turf course rooted, as you know the troubles we've seen other places have with that, and that we may be back here for. Not the whole summer. It didn't sound like that was the plan, but it sounded like come up here for the Belmont Stakes Racing Festival as a break from Aqueduct. I, for one, JK, incredibly excited by this plan. First of all, it just makes sense from a putting Belmont back together plan. And, you know, where else would you want to have it? And, I mean, it'll just be wild and fun if, if that's the way that it goes in the end. Certain approvals and political things need to be approved before we get that to happen. But uh, I'm excited by the idea, and I can only assume you are as well. Yeah, the only thing I don't like about it is the the idea that the Met Mile is going to be run out of the Wilson shoot. Outside of that, like, I'm great. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be really cool. Like, uh, I think the town will be buzzing. I think that uh, it'll be a situation where people, people will say, there's no way I'm going to miss the Belmont Stakes at Saratoga. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, you know, and I think that'll be good. Um, I think that I, I would imagine they'll probably change the distance to a mile and a quarter. But I tell you what, though, I, you know, next year's Triple Crown could get a little bit tricky because, you know, Quickness isn't going to be run two weeks after the Derby. We know that. So it feels, well, we don't know that, but all indications of that. It feels like it's, to me, what I think is going to happen, zero inside information is a Preakness three weeks after and then a Belmont two weeks after that, doesn't it? Because it doesn't sound like Naira were very pointed in the, quotes, in the piece about not moving the date and Preakness have wanted to move the date. So the only thing, if everybody sticks to their word, the only thing that makes sense is a week later Preakness and then the two-week gap between Belmont and, and, and Preakness. Does that sound reasonable to you? Yeah, you yeah I mean, it's just, no, no. I mean, it's, well, I will say this, that, you know, just, I don't have inside information, but, you know, there's a converse. It is tricky because, if we move, if we move back a week or move up, I'm sorry, move back a week. Yeah. Move back a week. That would be the right way to say it. We're on the U S open. Um, we're on top of that. So we're, we're the, the, you know, that hurts ratings obviously for the yeah. Belmont for Fox, which impacts a lot of different things. So we'll see what happens. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff to unfold and, and a lot of things that, that they got to figure out. But the idea of being able to come up here in the spring, um, and enjoy the late spring and enjoy a, a, uh, a little bit of a teaser before 
before Saratoga starts again. It's it's a fun idea. It's a it's a it's a fun. It's definitely a fun idea. And I'm kind of interested in the idea of like if they move it to a mile and a quarter, like do they keep it at a mile and a quarter? Because I mean, I don't know. Is it a better race than a mile and a quarter? Is it more meaningful? Is it? I don't know. It's interesting. That would make me desperately sad if they did that full time, especially given. Well, I don't know, unless they're going to completely revamp the Belmont course. I mean, I, it's important to me. I don't mind at all going mile and a quarter up here because I like the idea of them starting the race in front of the stands, frankly. I mean, it would be a weird mile and a half start here. So I, I don't mind the mile and a quarter start here. But first of all, I hate the mile and a quarter start at Belmont anyway. And then, you know, I think, honestly, it's probably the exact opposite decision that should be made of the directions I'd like to see them go with the breed in general, where I just think it makes all the sense in the world to try to get to rewarding more stamina as opposed to just, you know, having everything be geared towards speed. And, you know, the Belmont is sort of obviously the last vestige of, of, of a classic race like that. So, yeah, I, for one, would not like that as a permanent change, but wouldn't blink an eye changing it for the two years up here just because it's completely it's completely practical. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I see your point. I see your point. But, you know, I think one thing that, you know, in, in just one thing that has to happen that we have to do, and, and I'm starting to realize it a little bit more, is one of the reasons that racing has gotten itself into the, a little bit of the predicaments that it finds itself in is the refusal to make changes based on tradition, tradition. And like, I'm not saying that like changing the Belmont to a mile and a quarter versus a mile and a half is some significant decision that's going to impact the racing's overall health. But I'm just saying I'm trying to be more open and I'm trying to not use tradition as reasons for not doing something that might make sense. I'm th- I think that's fair enough. You know, I mean, I've been very agnostic for a long time about um, the distance or not the distance, the timing of the Preakness. I don't, you know, I don't think it's despite, you know, having Mage come back and run flat this year. I don't think it's something that's impossible for modern horses to do, but it seems very clear at the same time that the people making these decisions have a big issue with it. And obviously Mage's non-performance in the Preakness as well as it wasn't really a non-performance, but you know what I mean. It wasn't his A game and no one else even trying it. I have deep sympathy for, for the Preakness. So, and then of course I, you know, I didn't, it sounds like there've been discussions um, about trying to do something in a concerted effort between uh, first group and Naira. And it doesn't seem like they've clearly, they haven't come to any uh, understanding, come to any, agreement that everybody's happy with so i think it's just going to be we're going to have a few interesting years here and then you know there's tv windows there's when is two weeks after the first saturday in may going to be memorial day weekend and what the the chaos that could cause with with tv schedules and things there's a lot of stuff going on beyond meets the eye but my best guess right now and i and and i may hedge the bet and book a hotel uh for the traditional preakness date and the and moving one week out i may i may hedge a little bit and do that and then just cancel one um but then coming up here two weeks after that potential new preakness date for saratoga i mean i guess you and i are spoiled in that discussion jk because we have places up here maybe that's going to create chaos for a lot of others but i have a feeling it'll work itself out and i think given the big picture of new york racing and what they're trying to accomplish with this new belmont it's almost the only thing that makes any sense to me 
yeah, look for two years. I get to, it's like, I get to, I get to play out. Of, I get to run out of my own stall. That's, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's something to that, man. Like, you know, so it, it'll, it'll, uh, I, I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be a memorable uh, situation. And, and, uh, and look, I'm really looking forward to them getting Belmont in order. Like, I think that, I think that what, you know, getting Belmont to, to, to be a, 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 a grandstand that uh, that uh, is is worthy of being considered a, a 21st century uh, building, I think is going to be cool. Um, they're going to sounds like they're going to maintain both of the turf courses, the, the inner um, and the what is it, the melon or the widener there, the widener there, and and then they're also going to put in a synthetic racetrack um, mile racetrack on the on inside of that Belmont. So big they can still put a mile racetrack inside of there, and I think that that's going to you know, create some really, it's going to be healthy, I think, for New York racing. Um, and, you know, and being able to, uh, being able to, to, to keep races together and to, and to be able to, you know, work through the weather. I think it's going to be really good. One of the things from this meet, I would say, especially as far as uh, training and keeping races together, we just see what advantages we could have of having a synthetic surface. Now, I want it to be managed carefully. I don't want it to be running the same races on synthetic as, as turf and giving horsemen too many choices. But I'd love to see, you know, maybe some of the lower class stuff go to the synthetic. You keep the turf for, for better races. You keep the dirt maybe even for, for uh, some better races. And then you have more options to train and you have a, a condition book that makes sense and provides opportunities and can keep fields together without, um, you know, running on turf that's too soft. So it's uh, something I'm definitely I'm more open to than ever. And, and, and I really, I almost think it's a slam dunk no-brainer at this point. As long as you manage it correctly and you don't give up all your dirt racing or all your turf racing to the synth, I think there's a way that it can be managed that could be to everyone's benefit. Is that one of the sort of non-traditional stances you've come along to as well? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we, you know, as a horse player, um, one, yeah, as a horse player, betting on synthetic racetracks is not, is, I don't enjoy it. It's to me, it's like, it's the, it's, it's got, it, it's the randomness of, of, of turf racing. And it, and it's the, it's the randomness of turf racing and the kind of throw out pace rules of, of, of that we're used to of dirt racing. So it's, it's, it can be a challenge, but in general though, I love the sport enough that if it's going to make our sport better and more sustainable than the, then okay, let's do it. You know, I don't agree with a lot of uh, everything that Mark Cassie said in that one piece that he did. But the one thing I do is remember is like, is like uh, the, the I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the quote about like, you know, don't, you know, if we don't change and we're not gonna have anything to even talk about if, if we don't adjust, you know, so let's make a couple adjustments. Yeah, and I think also, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like as a synthetic surface, if it's not part of the problem with this previous synth experiment here was the way it was rushed in and rushed out. Like to have something that is better tested for the environment that's going to be in, that they have a chance to train on for a while before it goes in. There were definitely some advantages to say the synth before at Keeneland as opposed to you know, the, the California synth tracks, I feel like they were really behind the eight ball and, and like crazy chaotic, like throughout their existence. And I think some of that was the, the, the rushing it in. Hopefully it'll be done in a different way. And again, as an alternative, 
for training and for certain classes of racing. Not, I'm not in favor of get rid of all dirt and put in synth. I, I don't think that's the answer, but I don't think it has to be that, uh, that, that cut and dried either. Anyway, that's, we've gotten far off the, in, into the rabbit hole here talking about some of the industry issues, but I think it's important um, after a meet like this especially. But let's do some more straight-up reviewing, starting with the hopeful stakes somehow won by Nutella Fella. Well, I'll tell you how. Classic pace meltdown is how Nutella Fella got the job done. Example number of 4,392, how there are worse things in the world sometimes than getting left at the gate when the pace is going to hot up like that. Comes back in a <laughs> wretched 72 buyer speed figure. So, like, right after this race, I wanted to make a case for uh, Timberlake as my, my Breeders' Cup juvenile horse. After seeing the final figure, I think I'm going to. I think we're going to hit pause on that idea and and warn warn again about the, what happens when you get too excited betting trips out of slow races. What did you think of this, uh, Jonathan? Well, I mean, it was kind of disgusting. You know, I'm always a little disgusted when like when like when like completely ridiculous results happen in racing because it's that thing that 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 when they get in the gate that gives you that awful feeling in your stomach that you could lose something that feels like such a slam dunk. So I hate that feeling because these types of races remind you that randomness can happen. Rich strike can win a Kentucky Derby. And so like, it's always like kind of a gross feeling afterwards. Um, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how six horses that were running 90 something buyers can all regress 20 points. the, the, The figure just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I have no problem that it was a bad race, but the figure being a 72, like how, how did Timberlake be you pirate Valentine candy um, um, and uh, gold sweep? I mean, how do they all, I mean, how do they all run 20 points slower? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So we'll see what happens with that. But um, you know, I really, the only thing I can take away from it is that, you know, it was a very random result. I thought that Timberlake was best. And I thought he got ran off with on, on the backside and I actually talked to Floron yesterday after the race. I saw Flo last night and he was like, he said, I was water skiing. Like the horse just completely yeah. ran into that spot. I was trying as hard as I possibly could. And then he said, but he goes, but he did say when I turned from home, when I turned for home, like I was empty. Everyone was empty. Like everyone around me was empty. Like we were all empty. Um, and, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those races that if I'm being completely honest, I just kind of pretend it doesn't, didn't happen. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, m- move forward out of that race. You know, if, if Timberlake shows up in the, in the, in the champagne, I would bet him. If pirate shows up, I would bet him. Uh, if BU shows up, I'd give him another shot. I, I still think Valentine candy's got a ton of talent. I still think gold sweep is really good. And I will hundred percent bet against N- Nutella fellow wherever he shows up. Yeah, I mean, we should give credit. I, uh, you know, Gary Contessa's just made a, a career out of uh, upsetting these two-year-old races at Saratoga. Definitely deserves a shout out. Not, not for the to, to start and end the meet with a shocking result. I mean, that's you know, congrats to Connections. Sure, not trying to take anything away uh, from from them by questioning the the form of this race. What was going on in the betting between Pirate and BU? How is Pirate ten to one and BU sub three to one? Well, I mean, I think that, I, I, I think that, I th- well, I think the, the, the reason is Irad. Oh, that's interesting. He controls the market to that degree. That might be right. 
Well, it, it, not only does he control the market to that degree, not only does he get overbet all the way, all the time, but when you have him then making a choice between two horses, mm-hmm. a, a clear choice between two horses, then the money's going to lean the other way. But I think that it's also probably a mistake to assume that Irad isn't going to just he wouldn't have ridden a slower Mike Rapoli horse instead of Pirate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, just his own intuition. And it, it's a weird, I'm not going to crow and say how I'm, I'm so right about that just because one finished one space in front of the other. I, I just thought in the betting all along that the maiden, you know, the horse that's still the maiden against the horse that was the talk of the town and won at one to five. It just, the whole thing just kind of surprised me. Um, not too much else I have to talk about from uh, from from Monday. Should we go back to Sunday and the spin award? The spin away. This was a race that looked maybe the opposite of of the hopeful. This was a race that looked like good form, and whatever that trouble was that uh, Ways and Means had her early, maybe told on her a bit late. But it's not like you could take anything away from Brightwork here. To me, they were both running and running hard. They put on a show in a way that made me say, ooh, I hope we get to see them tangle a couple of more times before this uh, two-year-old season is over or maybe on into their three-year-old season. It looked to me like it had the the, the, the ability of uh, two good horses starting a, starting what could be a serious rivalry. Figure came back a solid 84 in this instance. What did you think of the spinaway? Yeah, I mean, they, they both ran. Um, you know, I don't think that Waze really lost anything in defeat. She... She, um, she, you know, she had some trouble, right? Like, like she, she stumbled a little bit at the break, and then she stumbled, almost clipped heels on the backside, uh, kind of at her own peril. Like she, she was like, I mean, her own fault. She, she, you know, she kind of was getting out a little bit, and then, and then almost went down on the backside, and then she had to make that wide move, and and she just couldn't get to to a really nice undefeated horse. Um, I think, I think you're 100 percent right. I think they're both horses that you you want moving forward, horses that you want out of that race. Uh, I thought they both ran uh, extremely well, and, and uh, you know, it was a little bit disappointing, you know, especially on the broadcast. But, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right, on the broadcast. You build up – you want to you want to give people at home, especially when you're on Fox, you know, FS1, you want to give people at home to, to give them a reason to care, to get them excited. Why does this race matter? Why does this matter? And uh, and and she, you know, Waze was, was, was acting as if she was going to be a superstar. I mean, it was one of the most impressive debuts I've ever seen. Um and you know she just she just she just couldn't overcome the, the 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 trouble and a good horse. Yeah, I would agree that didn't didn't lose much in defeat. I was a little surprised at just how exuberant the betting was given Brightworks uh, credentials going in, but th- this was one that there was clearly stories about, and it was just one of those pieces of tape that everything came together in that first ways and means race in terms of this is where you've got the visual impression and you've got the clock to back it up. So. You know, that's where that's where the odds on comes from, whether or not 45 cents on the dollar was reasonable to Brightworks three to one. I'm not so sure, but uh, I would have been I would have been better off with it coming the other way. I'll put it that way, even though, uh, you know, you could say if you were a Brightwork fan, you probably felt a little bit like you were stealing getting eight dollars back for that one. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, and, and look, I said it. I, I I said it on the show and I, I don't know if I, I said that the figures are pretty close for a couple of those horses in that race. Not even, not, not just bright work. Um, uh, also, uh, uh, CJ's horse, uh, sugar high, their, their numbers were all pretty close together with ways and means, but it was the appearance that ways and means 
I know you're the same way I am. Like, I don't really like to say, oh, they could have run much faster. Like, ways ways could have ran faster on debut. So you you, you have to think that there was more of more upside to, to be had with her. Yes, and I think even after the race, you can say that confidently too, given the uh, given the trouble that you that you did a good job describing. But yeah, that was an exciting race for sure on Sunday. Let's look back to Saratoga on Saturday, and we'll start with the race that gave the day its name, the Jockey Club Gold Cup Bright Future. Uh, Son of Curlin gets the job done, one hundred three fire speed figure. I had a great moment with Perrin before this race. We went down to look at him and Perrin picked bright future. And I just said, why? And she said, well, he looked really good. And he's by Curlin. <laughs> Words that I really enjoyed hearing from the 10 year old. So her bet, my bet didn't go in. Her bet went in uh, bright future gets the money in the jockey club. What did you think of, uh, what did you think of this result? I mean, in all fairness, I, I think this horse is well-named, right? Like, it's like, you know, he, he feels like he's got a bright future. He, he, he seems like he's progressing. He's in the best hands that you could really kind of think of for a horse, uh, a maturing older horse to to continue to, to you know, navigate these two-turn dirt race situations. And, you know, he's a, he's a curling. He, he reminds me a lot of like a – I know it's a cheap comparison because of the, the same silks and the same trainer – but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, reminds me a lot of Vino Rosso and like Vino Rosso just got good at the right time. He was, a, he was always a nice horse, but he turned into a really good horse. And, and I feel like bright future um, might be in, in that arena. I mean, it's, it's look, it's not the most, it's not the most challenging classic that we've ever had to navigate in terms of, is there a really, really good horse that they all have to come and beat? There's no Nick's goes. There's no flight lines. There's a bunch of bright futures, a bunch of uh, white Abarios, a couple of Fortes and Archangelos and, and, uh, and some go rocket rides and some Arabian nights. Like it's, it's, they're all the same horse and, and it's, it makes, it's going to make for a very interesting classic. So you think bright future is a serious contender for the race? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't like, do I think that the race that he ran on Saturday is going to get the purple and, and, and yellow blanket of flowers laid across, uh, his back? No, but I do think that he can, he seems to be improving and he's in the right hands that he could make that five point jump up with the right setup and win the race. And that sounds about right to me too. Interesting that you mentioned Forte along with those, the market agrees with you. The market still has uh, the market has Forte at 12 to one market has not there's not, no new quote yet, weirdly, for Bright Future, even though that was a couple of days ago. But, uh, oh, no, they're, Bright Future here listed at 20. That's not bad, actually, to me, looking at some of these others. I mean, Archangelo, best price right now, 7 to 2. That seems insane. Um, Arabian Night, 10. Bright Future, 20. I mean, at those kind of odds, uh, I'd be leaning more towards Bright Future. White of Barrio, 12, to give you one more in there. That's that's not crazy. I'm not going to, you know, to steal your line. I'm not cutting in line to bet it, but it's 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 really doesn't sound crazy to me in the least. You still are willing to give Forte another chance going forward? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, th- I thought that was a bizarre ride that he got last time. So, yeah, 100% I'd give him another shot. Right, that's true. It was it didn't seem uh, it did seem like there was some odd stuff going on here as you described last week when we uh, when we reviewed the race. Uh, the race I really want to talk about on Saturday though, the Harvey Pack stakes. This was just amazing. I mean, for me, obviously knowing 
Stephen Crisp for decades and uh, having worked so closely with Harvey Pack, working on his book. For those that don't know, Steve was probably the most frequent guest on the old Harvey Pack shows. I mean, what it's the kind of story you couldn't write with Thin White Duke getting the job done in there is as pleasing a result, as big of a smile as I've had over several um, Saratoga meets. Just absolutely loved it. Were you were you on air for that? I was, yeah. That was a uh, that was really cool. That was really cool. Um, um, you know, he's he's he, you know, it's those those two guys mean so much to horse players, and uh, to kind of have that race be won by Steve Christ uh, meant a lot. Yeah, for me, I mean, those are two people I wouldn't be here without, for sure. There's a, there's a fairly long list of those at, the, at this point, to be fair. But uh, Steve gave me some of my first opportunities, as did Harvey. So, And, yeah, Big Invasion uh, was a neck back. That's a horse you and I have talked about for a race, maybe even like the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Um, this race, let's see what it came back figure-wise. It came back okay, a 96 but not exactly the kind of race you're going to be saying, oh, my God, uh, we just saw the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint winner. But, um, you know, I think they both have to be looked at for the race, at least in a at least in a periphery sense. No, I mean, they obviously, no, I, don't, I, I think then I, I think then White Duke is is a circumstantial horse. I, I think that he, you know, can win a good setup in a race he, he like clearly likes it at Saratoga. But I I don't need him come, you know, come Breeders' Cup. You know, I don't, I don't, he's, to me, that horse is not beating horses like Caravelle or Roses for Deborah or Big Invasion on the right day. Big Invasion to me is the horse, you know, and, and look, I'll, I'll say this, Acacia obviously being very close to the Clement barn and, and with her husband, Miguel being the assistant, you know, she said she's seen him more fit. Uh, she said that in the paddock before the race. So if that was his performance, not as fit as he can be, I still think that he's a dangerous, dangerous horse with real pace. I mean, just think about Caravel getting pressure from someone else. Um, Roses for Deborah, then running at Caravel when she puts away whoever else that gives that pressure. And then here comes Big Invasion rolling down the middle of the track on firm turf uh, at San Anito with a flat five with that big run. I mean, or five and a half or whatever they're going to do. I, I mean, I, I still am a Big Invasion fan moving forward. It what's turning out to be a price. It, it may well be I mean, off that uh, off that current form. What else at Saratoga should we talk about? Alva Star, ninety eight buyer in the Prior S. I feel like the Jockey Club Gold Cup this year, despite being a win. Excuse me, the Flower Bowl this year, despite being a win in your in race, uh, won by Parnak with a ninety buyer. Maybe a bit of a less said about it, the better kind of a race. Where, what else do you want to talk about before I let you go catch your plane? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing that, that at least is on my mind, at least to a certain extent, is the is the is the uh, the jockey title and the trainer title. You know, Irad was just absolutely dominant. He almost lapped the field. Um, and he and, and to be fair, he he on Saturday he kind of started making me think like, is it possible that he's going to catch Ramon sixty eight? You know, it was at least a conversation. So I think Irad's uh, Irad's even with some days, he still had like you know he still had whatever 60, 60 some odd wins. Um, and then just the training title thing, right? It's like, it, you know, it's, it's Linda was, was, you know, probably a huge underdog to do what she did in tying Chad for the, for, for the championship. Let's keep in mind though, a, a couple of things. One is, is, you know, it's fitting that it took to the last race to do it. Chad had $5.4 million in earnings while Linda had 2.9. So it seems like they were playing a different game. 
um, out there. You know, Chad's winning the bigger races. Linda's winning some of the lower level stuff to sneak in some wins. And I and, and the weather obviously had a big, big, big to do um, and, and the outcome of that because I think we lost 60 some on turf races. You know, I mean, how many of those were, were, uh, were, were was Chad going to win? Unbelievable for Linda. You know, I said at the beginning of the meet, there's no way she can keep this up. You know, all the conditions lost at Belmont, all the conditions lost early in the meet. Well, let, let me tell you, she kept it up and came back in a big way. What was it at the start of Saturday? Wasn't she like, I think she was, was she three back? And then it was, uh, it's amazing how the days run together. At some point in the last couple of days, she was actually four back and still pegged it all back. Ends with right. 35 wins from 147 starters for a ridiculous up at such competitive Saratoga, 24%, and uh, gave us something to follow. I was on TV the last two days over for Sky Sports Racing, and it was definitely a story we were following with great interest. Erad ended up with 62 wins. Unbelievable. <laughs> His brother back in second with 36 wins. It was a very, very impressive performance from him. And yeah, what do you do? Are you at a point with Irad where you're, how do you handle the tax you have to pay on his horses or in terms of how much they get bet? Do you, are, are you at a point now where you're actively look to, to, to fade in certain spots? I mean, is it, is it, a, no, is it a, no, I think if you start, if you start, if you start doing that, you're playing the wrong game. It's like, you're, you're, you're going to get yourself into more trouble than it's worth. Um, no, I, and plus like, you know, I'm a multi-race player anyway. So like the tax is not nearly as high in those pools. It's pretty right. high in the wind pool because look, you, 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 you've got the casual fan who's betting five, 10, $20. And when they do that, I'm going to always bet IRAD thing. It affects the wind price only. I, I don't think, I don't think the market is as aggressive in over betting IRAD in the pools that, that, that we frequent. That makes sense. All right, we're going to let you get your plane. We've got more racing to recap from Kentucky Downs and Del Mar. We'll get to that just in, in a second. Any closing thought for you before we, uh, we we let you zip? You're you're actually going to be podcasting from your honeymoon. Are you sure you're going to be allowed to do that? Yeah, I mean, I got to do something. We just sit. I, I mean, I can only do so much sitting by the sitting by the ocean, right? I got so yeah, you know, a little, little thirty minutes here. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to completely unplug, you know, so it'll be fun. Good stuff. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thrilled to continue our partnership with Woodbine for the 2023 season. The great racing North of the border continues with graded stakes all summer, including the Woodbine mile coming right up. I'm going to be up there. That's going to be a ton of fun. Not this weekend, but next weekend, this weekend, four stakes, the grade two Canadian and the grade three Pattinson Singspiel stakes among them. Don't miss out on all the action. For more information, go to woodbine.com. Next up, we turn our attention to Kentucky Downs. Still one more leg in the King of the Turf contest series. That's happening this Saturday. If you're interested in that, you can find the info on the Kentucky Downs website or uh, in our social media. We've been pumping it as well. Hey, it's been in our in our newsletters. And speaking of our newsletters, guy who uh, largely puts those together is with me now. You've been reading his stuff on the plus side about Kentucky Downs, where he's been giving out tons of great info and uh, some nice winners as well. I'm speaking of Eric DeCoster. Eric, how are things? Things are good and enjoyed the first, I guess, weekend minus a Friday, of course, of Kentucky Downs. I'm looking forward to four more good days of racing. I just I just love it. It's a, it's a headache and it's awesome at the same time. 
<laughs> I think that's a really good description. It is funny sometimes how I feel like, you know, you do see heavy favorites win um, in certain instances and you see logical prices, but it does seem like you occasionally get these just wild ones as well. And it, uh, it sort of adds to the challenge in terms of attacking it from a betting point of view. How do you do it? Do you take a high risk, high reward stance and you'll still swing at a pick five or is it a track where you're a little bit more content to maybe just do the old pick one and have a win bet? That, that's exactly it. Um, I, you know, at, at a track like Keeneland, which is outside of Kentucky Downs, my, my favorite uh, track to play, uh, definitely willing the high risk, high reward stuff because it's, it's just a little more predictable. But here, um, and maybe not so much this meet, it, it's been a little more uh, favorite friendly and we haven't seen as many of those crazy prices. But all in all, yes, I prefer to find the horses I have confidence in, know they might be a little bit of a price so I can get some value and uh, hope hope they can run well. Um, I, you know, play, playing them even across the board, honestly, um, you know, with a, with a good price, obviously, uh, is something that I, I tend to do at Kentucky Downs because you can find great value. There was a horse uh, this past weekend, uh, Overbore, was in an allowance race, um, and he was 47 to 1. And I said, you know what, this, this horse, he likes the grass and can close well. Let's just take a flyer on him. And, and that made my day, and he didn't even win. So th- those are the types of things I look for at Kentucky Downs. But, you know, obviously, that comes with as many losses as wins because it's, it's a tough track. Oh, it's not it's not easy any way you slice it. But uh, one thing also to your across the board point, the penny breakage works to Mm -hmm. your advantage as far as that goes. Let's look back at some of these stakes races, starting with uh, the 11th race from Sunday, which was the Dueling Grounds Derby. And this was this was an interesting one for breeding aficionados. We had a lot of representation of the English Channel Kittens Joy cross. I thought it was far bridge as the odds-on favorite who might get the job done. Instead, it was Anglophile, very similar breeding pattern, scoring it uh, 10 to 1. What did you think of this race? Curious to know if you uh, think we're going to be hearing more from these horses. The figure came back in 95 for Anglophile. Yeah, no, and, and to the breeding point, I mean, it's it's a money angle at this track. And I, any turf race, you see Kittens Joy, English Channel, or their offspring either side, you're, you like your chances. Um, and for me, when I when I look at the maiden races that I like to play, um, if I see those names, it's hard for me to go past them. But you know, it was kind of the same thing here, right? You, you knew these horses were going to perform well, but not not in this order. I I have a lot of good faith in these horses going forward because I think they're only getting started from a distance perspective. Anglophile, because of you know, he's a, he's only a three year old, um, like everyone else in this field, of course. Uh, is this is the farthest they've really been allowed to go? Um, that's how the schedule falls, but. You have to think that they're just going to get better with age, like these English channels and kitten joys do, and they're going to like going longer. So, you know, maybe they're going to do. They've already done some good things this year. Farbridge a Grade One winner, Anglophile now a Grade Three winner. But you have to think that when they can tackle Grade One company as a four and a five year old, even uh, that's when they'll be at their peak because they'll get to go a mile and three, it's a mile and a half, maybe even longer for some of these horses. So, uh, I look at these this bunch quite favorably, especially this top two because. They finished full of run. They're very nice horses. Their record is just a little spotty because they haven't gotten to do exactly what they want to do. And they honestly um, probably have to wait until next spring to, to get to that point. One angle, just from a betting point of view, I'll point out here that occurred to me to red board a little bit. But I, I feel like I'm allowed because I said it on TV. It seemed like a good spot to be against red route one just because it feels like the turf horses that win at Kentucky Downs. And this is an old Mike Maloney point from the from the preview shows we've done in years past for Kentucky Downs. It's like for the, the 
not the horses that can sort of get away with turf, but the horses that can really thrive on turf that do their best running here. And, and that just seemed like one that was maybe uh, something close to a takeout eliminator. Didn't I didn't translate this into actually making any kind of score in the race, but it's the kind of thing to look at. Um, you know, if a horse has done okay on turf and at Gulfstream or has sort of a half and half pedigree and been, been running more on dirt, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit more willing to take a shot against them than horses that have run on one on the, for lack of a better word, turfier turf courses. That's something you notice in your study of these races. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I think that's a great point you make because this is a, a true European turf course and, and how it grows is much more natural than a manicured course, like, like a Gulfstream that you mentioned. Um, so yeah, it is going to harm the horses who are, are running on, on those more manufactured surfaces and the true, grass big hoof types that you know they, they talk about all the time like an anglophile on a far bridge um even a battle of normandy uh who was third that we haven't touched on yet this is where they are going to to, to lift themselves up and we have seen that um throughout you the only horses that you've seen really been able to translate any dirt form to the turf are the horses that should have been on it to begin with in those maiden races otherwise it's it's the tried and true uh grass horses and even the, the synthetic um at least you know i don't have rock solid numbers on this but Horses trying to translate synthetic form uh, over from whether that's Gulfstream or uh, old form from Turfway. Uh, they, they tend, and Woodbine too is, is another one I should throw out there, that they really have not fully um, taken it from that surface that you normally would think would translate uh, to Kentucky. Now, you have to have some decent turf form or have really good breeding uh, for, for the turf to, to excel here. At least that's what we've noticed over these first three days. Any other points on the Derby or shall we pivot to the Oaks? Let's move on to the Oaks. I think we... we covered the important part but yeah i do think this is going to be a productive race this is a another cool pedigree on the winner freitas the red by saxon warrior and then german breeding on the dam side of, of dam uh songery by Scirocco. very very cool pedigree and and another one that uh really seemed to uh just just absolutely excel over this configuration and, and be able to to get the job done and this was another race that came back with a with a rock solid figure in 92 it turned out for Freitas the red what did you think of this this effort and this field in general you know I think it's you know myself red boarding a little bit this is one I feel like I should have paid closer attention to because of once again the, the pedigree uh she's like you were saying a lot of good names are in the pedigree to go the mile and five sixteenths distance just over a mile and a quarter uh that they went on on, on Sunday most of these horses did have already done their best work at a mile, mile and an eighth, and they're bred to do their best work at those. Uh, but Freitas the Red showed, I think, in the Belmont Oaks, even though she was fifth, that this is this is a good distance for her. This is something that, that she's going to be steady at. And, uh, you know, I think that went overlooked by myself for sure and, and many others because you, you saw the, the wins in the columns for the other horses and, and didn't dive as deep, at least I know I didn't, uh, into – into the what, what would happen when these horses had to add the extra furlong or three sixteenths of a mile. Um, and I, I think that was absolutely the separator for her here. Um, and, and just all in all this division, they've just traded blows. I went back through and looked at a lot of them, the grade twos, grade threes, and of course the handful of grade ones out there up in New York and Kentucky and even out West. And um, other than um, Anna set maybe out West and, and she's kind of running things and, and, or has run things at Del Mar now that that's coming to an end. But in terms of the Midwest and the East, it's it's every race they're trading blows. Freitas the Red was, yeah. was fifth in that Belmont Oaks, and she wins this race, of course. And a lot of the horse, the four horses that finished in front of her in the Belmont Oaks have all traded blows in the Lake George and the Lake Placid. So 
that's just going to create a big headache um, come QE2 Cup time at Keeneland because we know that's where uh, most of these are probably going to end up. Do you think Freitas the Red might have enough speed for a, a test like that? Or do you think she needs all of that extra ground to show yeah, us? All the extra ground for sure. I think of the Chad Brown horses that have done well in New York. And that's, you know, there's four or five of them off the top of my head um, that have once again been trading those blows. But they're much more suited for the mile, the mile. And even Phillies out of this, like, uh, you know, a flashy gem caught my eye because I didn't think she'd run well here. And she did. Um, she's certainly much more fit for a mile, mile 16th, mile and an eighth. So. I would not take Freitas the Red out of it for that spot, but she'd be another kind of like an Anglophile or a, a Far Bridge who next year, uh, when they get to do those longer things, um, they'll be much better suited. So not nice Philly, but I, I do think that she's just figuring herself out at a mile and a quarter or longer. The favorite's definitely disappointed in here. You and I both landed with Selenaya, who was actually last. Safine also caught a lot of money. Did you see any particular excuses for either of them? You know, I, I did not because... Uh, it's it's not like the pace really shattered anybody because Flashy Jim, I previously mentioned, she she stuck around all right. Um, and, and really, Callie's grit ran off so far. They were setting their own pace. But, you know, I, I felt like Safine just looked pretty weak, pretty far out. And Sel and I even worse. I, I, I couldn't really find a good excuse for them. Maybe just not handling the configuration. That's that's my excuse, especially for Safine, because, you know, she'd been in such good form. She was a very deserving favorite in a race that was otherwise kind of wide open. Uh, she just had always brought her race. So I didn't see her not even hit the board. Uh, was a bit of a shocker for me. So uh, she's one I'd look to next time out. Even if they did take the shot uh, in the QE2, I, I wouldn't be opposed to, to looking her way, depending on how that race comes up. Just, just a wonky race, but it was clear who excelled over the configuration in the distance. That's a good point about Kentucky Downs form in general. Maybe a little bit quicker to forgive a Selenia effort there when getting back to something so different. You figure if, they, if the barn persists, if it's not something, it's often the kind of lay, the effort that would lead to a layoff. But if it doesn't, if the training comes back in, if, if everything goes smoothly till Keeneland, yeah, maybe you say just wasn't her bag. Don't take that form literally and you evaluate her off the previous form and suddenly she might look like a live long shot in a race like that. You know, hard to know from this far out, but I think just a good point in general that you don't necessarily have to hold the Kentucky Downs form against horses as much as you would in another spot. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know that come Keeneland next next month, I'm going to be looking to not just this race, of course, all the races and and being being much more willing to draw lines through through bad performances if they're coming back in similar or harder conditions and uh, see see what that looks like. Uh, definitely compare that to like a Saratoga or if I see a bad run, I know, okay, maybe they just can't cut it. But here it, it's absolutely, I, I can forgive it. I think the biggest thing, let me add one more point, if it's their first run over the track. Um, yeah, Because if, right. they've, if they have, you know, if, if they've done it three or four times, then, then maybe I'll look at it different. But if they one start at Kentucky Downs and that was their last start or two starts ago, um, I, I can't take that race seriously because I just know some of these horses get really confused after doing the pure ovals for so long um, yeah. that when you throw in that extra long turn in the in the the, the fall stretch, there, there's confusion to be allowed because our American horses do the same thing time and time again. Some of them probably had, had no idea what they were doing this weekend and in, in, in general at this track. We've got a few minutes left and I want to touch on these Saturday stakes races. We'll start with the Mint Millions, nearly two million in the pot. Ancient Rome gets the win. Son of Warfront, another very solid ninety-five buyer speed figure for this one. What did you think? Of, what did you think of this race? Any thoughts on horses potentially to take coming out of here? Yeah, no, I, I mean this this is an impressive run. Obviously, he's we you touched on it more so, and I I threw a little on 
um, when we previewed this race last week and that this horse is coming back into form at the right time. And he, when you look at the, the European uh, just course configuration translating here, I'd say, but actually it's kind of interesting to look at the other Europeans that ran this weekend. Um, they didn't do too well, but ancient Rome yeah. uh, did just fine, which, you know, benefited many people, I'm sure. Um, but you also have to wonder, you know, you look behind him, good horses, but horses that are, that have just been kind of running the same race after the same race. The one horse, obviously, I think most of us will look to again is Annapolis. Um, he had to check pretty sharply late. You think he would have hit the board at least maybe not beat ancient Rome because he was coming so well, but um, certainly lost his position. Uh, late in the game, and it was, it was a much better performance than a, a fifth beaten, you know, over four lengths might indicate. So uh, yeah. that's a horse I'm looking to. But the rest, you know, it, this has been a, a pretty tough division outside of some top names like Akasa Creed um, throughout the year. And, you know, it's just you'd have to think the logical progression is is the turf mile at Keeneland from here on out. Uh, and uh, I don't look at any of these horses other than Annapolis as a player. Okay. Yep, that's – Annapolis also one that, I mean, I think you made the case based on the trip and also just one that you figure is probably a little bit better around that more traditional uh, mm -hmm. configuration. Hopefully he can bounce back in a spot like that. I've always been a really big Annapolis fan. I do think he's got uh, a big win with his name on it somewhere uh, down the line. Maybe even this season, we'll have to see how that plays out. Next up, we've got the Gunrunner Stakes, one by Talk of the Nation. This one with a 97 buyer speed figure, even uh, even faster than the Mint Millions. And I wonder how good this horse is and in, in, in terms of what, what his ceiling might be. Scores at a, at a short price look very handy and, and the kind of run that made you think he could handle any configuration of a mile. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I love this horse's ability to, to really sit any trip. You know, he's, he's obviously done his better work closer to the pace and here he was right up in the in the fray early on about a length a length and a half off the lead um but just the way he kicks on and then hold, held on really nicely i thought it was was good to see him getting a dog fight kind of late holding off wadsworth's late surge um and, and putting him away i thought wadsworth ran a great race too um just kind of did what i thought he would which is motor but he does need more ground he's much more of a candidate at a mile and an eighth even up to a mile and a quarter wherever he could find that so I think that this, this is going to be a, a good race. These, these top two, maybe not beyond that, but I, I think they, they asserted themselves well. And they, they have the, the luxury of having some three-year-old restricted races to finish off the year. And I'm sure the Hollywood Derby could be in the play uh, for, for both of these horses, which would be a great spot to see them target. Yeah, the Breeders' Cup mile, salty as it is, maybe maybe not the way that they'll go, knowing the, how these barns uh operate you know they're looking to typically be in spots where they're going to be shorter prices i would think though i wouldn't absolutely rule out a tilt by talk of the nation especially if mcgahee if mcgahee thinks he has that extra bit to find and it also depending of course on which killers end up coming over from from europe for it i he wouldn't necessarily be out of place in a race like that would he uh, no, uh, I, I think, you know, through a 97 and, and however you look at buyers, that's very competitive with uh, what these milers are doing right now. You know, Annapolis has a career. Yeah, yeah, domestically for sure. Um, so it would absolutely be within reason, especially since he got a nice little two month break into this race. Why not wheel him back at, at Keeneland in the turf mile? Give him a shot there. See what you can do. If your toughest competition is Annapolis, I'm not too, you know, he's a nice horse, but I'm not scared of him. Um, I'd be willing to take my chances, see what we have. And then you're right. Uh, if that doesn't go well, put him off for the year, goes okay, 
maybe skip the breeder stuff goes great. Boom. Now you have one of the favorites. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. Suge, Suge's the type of trainer who would absolutely, uh, you know, take the shot if he thinks the horse is right. And I think he spaced it out well to where that'd be in the, the realm of possibilities. Brad Cox has so many and is, I think more conscious of that, you know, wants to be, wants to put a horse in the spot where he's going to be the, the shortest price has the best chance to win. I, who knows though? I, it's not like he's against taking shots, but really for me, talk of the nation, uh, it's a, sl- it's a little interesting as a sleeper. And then you do have that three-year-old restricted race at the end of the year that, that makes a ton of sense out at, uh, out at Del Mar as part of their, part of their turf festival as sort of a, a plan, a plan B or a plan A minus maybe as it turns out. One more race to talk about, and it is the Music City Stakes, the big-ass fans Music City Stakes. This one was won in a 90 by Secret Money by Good Samaritan. Not not quite the level of uh, of Turf Sire, at least yet, that we've been talking about with these wins, but certainly one that has a lot of potential um, to become a terrific Turf Sire. This one wins by one clear length over Dance Macabre Bling back in third. What did you think of this uh, extended sprint at Kentucky Downs? Yeah, you, you know, you mentioned Good Samaritan. Um, and I, I found it interesting because I, I'm also thinking he's he's the sire of a Sabalenka, the runner-up in the, the Dueling Grounds Oaks. So, right. Uh, he, he had as good of a weekend as anybody with the winner at six and a half and then runner-up at a mile and five sixteenths. That's a, that's a great point. That's, that, that's, that's strong. That's literally double, about double the distance. So, um, it, that's that's big big for his resume but secret money uh, this is a billy who's who's done a, a lot of good work uh in a very short amount of time just slowly rising up uh for brendan walsh you know i, I remember her breaking her maiden at keeneland um this spring and, and thinking okay this this really could be all right but she's she's just progressed obviously the lake george was a i wouldn't say a coming out party but it showed okay she can hang with these types who once again kind of trading blows but Nevertheless, she can be one of those horses in the mix. And, and so to put it together here, the only thing I just struggle with, with with this race is where do you go from here? Do you stretch them back out? Do you, do you cut them back to five and a half for a race like the, the Franklin County next month? At you know, this this is just such a niche distance um, for a niche group of horses uh, that that I just I just don't know what to do. And I don't know how to read them all. Um, and I've had this I have this problem every year with this race and uh, the Franklin Simpson, which is the, the male counterpart for the, the sophomore Colts at this meet. I just I never know how to handle them uh, coming out of it. I don't know if you have a take on that. Well, one the first thing that would, that came to mind was if you were running the if the if the downhill was in play at Santa Anita, yes. it would be different mm-hmm. than having the the super sharp uh, five furlongs they're going to run. That would that would make it easier. But things being as they are it is kind of its own thing and form that you're not exactly sure how it's going to translate. But I'll say this for a runner like secret money. When you look through the, the, the PP cut now, she's done a lot of different things uh, pretty well. So yes. maybe this is a case of, of wanting to go, maybe they go back out in distance, trying to take advantage of the, the, the being a three-year-old and getting some three-year-olds restricted stuff. But it's, it's certainly not a no brainer to go from six and a half out to nine of the, of the Kiwi two from here. So they are, they are in a little bit of a, of a spot. Fortunately, Brendan Walsh typically makes uh, the right decisions. He has so much good stock now that he'll, I think have a pretty good idea of where secret money is going to fit 
this was just a 90 buyer speed figure too. This might be one that uh, has been really well spotted and, and is going to need to uh, going to need to improve to tackle a race, you know, tackle a grade one type of a race and, and one that maybe they will be looking more towards uh, more towards the future on. It's, it's tricky to say, but she's certainly in the right hands and uh, hopefully will will stick around next year as a four year old as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's a good point you make, uh, given that she was only beaten a, a length in the Lake George just a, a few weeks ago, really, um, to horses that you're likely going to see back at Keeneland um, in, in the QE2. Uh, I, I think that, that that's fair. We could see her there. I, I do think Dance Macabre, because she's done so much good work at five, five and a half, um, she just looked like she was kind of coming undone late. I won't say entirely, but it was, it was clear that uh, she was on her last legs. I, I, I'd be really intrigued to see her um, kind of finish out the year. You know, I, I think this is going to be a productive race going forward because, at least personally, I had such a hard time landing on one horse, and I'm, you know, not surprised to see who won, and I'm, I'm surprised to see who didn't run well at all. So I, I, I just don't know what makes sense from here. It almost feels like uh, some of these horses will almost have to wait till next year to get these distances back because you're not going to find them. Um, if you're kind of a six, seven specialist, you're not going to find them until say like Belmont next, uh, or I guess aqueduct, uh, in, in this year's, uh, or next year's situation, but like a six for a long type of race. Dance Macabre's interesting because she has that mile win from Gulfstream and then also has won best race was around the sharp, uh, 550 at, uh, five and a half at, uh, at, at Churchill. So one that definitely uh, the the Danner operation will have to uh, make some make some decisions, a lot of choices as to as to which which way to go with with her. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. It's been great having this uh, this top class turf racing at Kentucky Downs. We're looking forward to your coverage over the last few racing days. I'm sure we'll have you on the show again to do some predicting, and hopefully we can uh, give. Folks, a bunch more winners. Keep up the good work uh, over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. I'm enjoying it, like I said. And, uh, yeah, hopefully a few more winners because, you know, it's, it's a tough one. I can't, I can't <laughs> emphasize that enough. It's a tough one. Great work, Eric. We'll be talking soon. Saratoga may be over, but we are thrilled to be partnering with Naira for the rest of 2023. Going to continue to have Saturday racing coverage each day they run on the Players Podcast, as well as write-ups and analysis each racing day at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can find our stuff on their page under Picks, Plays, and Promotions. And we also have a helpful little schedule where you can find exactly where the America's Day at the Races coverage will be across the Fox family of networks. For that full schedule, go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Last but not least, we bring in a man who had a heck of a weekend himself out there in Del Mar. He will speak as an owner. He will also speak as a pundit. He is the co-host of the Owner's Box podcast with Michelle Yu. He's a managing partner, one of the managing partners at Little Red Feather Racing. He's Billy Koch. Billy, how are things? How you doing, Peter? Life is good. I'm wishing I was out with you for the ring out uh, the Del Mar meet. Now that Saratoga's over, how's it been going for you out there? Uh, we've had a we've had a tremendous week, uh, tremendous meet. I mean, uh, four stakes wins now, and we got a couple bullets to fire on closing weekend. And the partners, Little Red Feather family, has been out there in full force. So uh, it's been a terrific meet. It's uh, we're sorry to see it end. 
good stuff. I was happy to be there at the beginning, happy to report I'll be out for the end of the Bing Crosby meet in the, in just a couple months' time. I'm going to make that trip happen. But we're here today to talk about stakes racing from the weekend. We'll touch on Sunday quickly, and then we'll get to uh, some of the big ones on Saturday. But we'll start off with the Del Mar Derby for these three-year-olds, the conclusion of that three-year-old series out there, won appropriately enough by a horse called Collude, or excuse me, Conclude, by Collected. It was an 88 buyer speed figure in this one. What did you think of this effort? What did you think of this field? Who do you want out of it uh, going forward? Well, considering we own Conclude, it was a pretty good result for us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we actually own, uh, in a in a co-ownership with uh, Brett Jones from Airdrie Stud, who bred the horse. He actually uh, campaigned the mother, uh, Believe You Can, who won the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, Saul Cumans, Madiket Stables is our other partner in Conclude, obviously trained by Phil D'Amato and, and ridden by Hector Berrios. Uh, you know, he was even money. Uh, he There was really not much speed in the race. Uh-huh. Thought Hector did an amazing job when uh, um, another, I, I can't remember who was on the other horse, Justin's Legacy. I think it was Maldonado. Maldonado. Yeah, Maldonado went out and tried to pull the, uh, the Maldonado where he goes out fast and then tries to slow it down right in your face. And uh, Berrios just said, I'm not having any of that. And took Conclude where he wanted to be, got him to relax on the lead. A mile and an eighth might be stretching it a bit for him, uh, probably best at a mile. Um, but he he ran to his odds. He ran to his works. And he was, uh, pardon my French, but effing awesome. <laughs> that was that was a terrific ride by Berrios. He definitely took a potentially tricky situation and made light work of it in the end. What about the rest of this field? Anybody else who particularly impressed you? And if not, we'll keep talking about Conclude and ask where he's going to go from here. You know, I, I thought Maltese Falcon ran really well. Um, it's not like they were blistering up front and he made a big move um, to get within a head of Conclude at the very end. And he might even want more distance. So he might go the other way where Conclude might want to back up a little bit. Um, other than that, I thought Phil's other horse, Al Madaris, put in a good run. He's a little bit inexperienced. That was only his second U.S. start. He ran really well in an allowance race uh, previously in one. So probably the top three finisher, finishers have bright futures. I think for conclude, we have a bunch of choices right now. If we decide to stay home, he'll likely go in the Del Mar. I'm just in the Del Mar in the, um, twilight Derby, which is on the breeders cup undercard also at a mile and an eighth. And he should like that Santa Anita turf course. You know, it's a little more what Phil calls uh, pool table. Like it's a little, unlike Del Mar, by the end of the meet, it gets a little, it gets a little deep. It gets a little chewed up and, uh, hopefully at Santa Anita come breeders cup weekend that, that uh, turf course will be pretty fast and conclude should like that. Let's talk about the shared belief stakes for the three-year-olds going a mile, won by Tahoe Sunrise with a 91 buyer speed figure. But what were your thoughts on this race? Yeah, no, I, I you know, I personally, from a gambling standpoint, I really like Tahoe uh, Sunrise. I think uh, the Baffert's other horse, Mr. Fisk, was getting a lot of attention. Um, I can't remember who ended, who ended second, Pete. They actually ended up dead heating for the win. I put oh, this, was the, this was the dead heat. Yeah, That's right. I was going to say. My notes. Yeah, they, yeah. They, neither one of them. They, they both ran first and yes, second. They oh, both sorry, ran first and minutes. second. Yes. I, and I, I made a comment after the race. Maybe we shouldn't call this a dead heat. Can we just call it a tie or something else? Like, really? <laughs> Do we need to use that verbiage anymore? Isn't that kind of old school? And, you know, I mean, someone could get canceled for saying dead heat. A anyway, heater. A, a heater. Sure. Let's just call it a heater from now on. Yeah, it was a, it was an, it was really interesting. As I said, I had bet on Tahoe Sunrise. 
uh, but I thought both horses ran a really good race. They're probably a cut below uh, the best three-year-olds around, as we saw in the Pacific Classic that I'm sure we're going to talk about. But uh, both very nice horses, and that's what Baffert does. He wins those kind of races. Yeah, and, and definitely ones that seem, you know, potentially on the improve into this late three-year-old, early four-year-old year. They were uh, they were well clear, eight lengths clear of the rest of them. Well, you teased it. Maybe we'll go right there to the Pacific Classic. It's shaped up on paper as a clash of the generations. That's kind of how it played out as well. What was your thoughts going into this one, and how did that dovetail with the results we saw on the track? Yeah, I saw an interesting stat before the race about three-year-olds running in the Pacific Classic, and and they hadn't fared well in a while, but I think they had won several renditions, and I thought the three-year-old crop was very strong this year. I know a lot of people who I was around, at least really like Skinner, who you know made a, a little bit of a move, but um, Arabian Night, I get him confused sometimes with Arabian Lion, but it was the night. Uh, he, he was much the best this day. I thought Go Rocket Ride ran very well in defeat. Um, and, and obviously the three-year-olds just dominated. I, I thought in my own handicapping, I don't know what you did before the race in your previews, but I thought Stiletto Boy would run better. I thought Defunded might run better. Uh, I, I, I gave a shot. I mean, Senor Buscador looked really good coming into the race off that big win in the, uh, in the prep, but three-year-olds just dominated. Um, they're just better right now. And I think, uh, I think both of those horses have very bright futures and it'll be interesting to see. We have practical move coming back down, um, out here. Uh, obviously we have the, the Travers that was run and, and Arcangelo and all those horses and Forte, um, and disarm who's getting better. So the three-year-old crop this year is uh, is pretty, pretty good. And it'll be interesting to see now that they're all going to start facing older, probably after the Pennsylvania Derby. Um, you know, they're going to have to face older now in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And I think it's going to be a really good race. One of the things I liked, Pete, was that there was no flight line this year, right? There was no superstar, which good or bad for the game you know it's always great to have some superstar horse but it was nice to have a wide open field and like you said the clash of of the ages and uh uh obviously arabian night proved best it's interesting looking at the betting for the breeders cup classic the market has really cottoned to these three-year-olds seeing archangelo now actually as a heavy favorite in that market as low as seven or seven to two is the best price available on archangelo now and the likes of go rocket ride and arabian night in behind him with a bunch of other three-year-old representation. It, it sure seems from here like the, the three-year-olds are going to at least dominate the market. Um, and you can see why when you see results like what we the performance we saw in the Travers and seeing out here in, in the Pack Classic. Now, some older horses might have some things to uh, to say about this. You see the result of... Uh, of the, the big ones in Saratoga, the figures these older horses are are running, they're basically the same as the three-year-olds, right? Uh, Arabian sure. Night got a 101 buyer speed figure here to the, I think it was a, a 103 that Bright Future got back in Saratoga. I mean, what, what's your gut? Are we going to see a three-year-old win the Classic and be horse of the year? Uh, my, my gut tells me no. Uh, just because it doesn't happen that often and they have to be right. such a superior horse. Um, but I'm not saying it, it can't happen. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, what happens in these, these upcoming uh, Breeders' Cup preps with some of the older horses. I think Cody's Wish goes in the mile, right? The dirt mile. It feels that way, maybe outside chance of the sprint for him, but it does right. sound like Vosberg next, which would seemingly rule out the classic. 
Right. It's just, I look, the Pacific Classic tells a big story. I mean, the older horses just could not beat the three-year-olds late in the summer, which mean, which means at least out here, they're in trouble. But, um, and there's just no, who's coming in is the way to kind of look at it. And you have to kind of look East or you looked at that, that race, um, with, uh, um, what was the Stidham's horse that ran second the other day? Oh, um, um, I'm having a break. White Abaria was one that we have to talk about. Proxy. Right. One Proxy. Ran second to, uh, right. To, to Bright Future. To Bright Future, I, I, exactly. Yeah, there, it, there's excuses for Tyson coming out of that to maybe run better. There, there's And yeah, White Abario definitely needs a call talking based on that Whitney performance, talking about these older horses. But none of them are, you know, you, you can see why the market is betting the three-year-olds ahead of, of that, uh, that quartet. 100%. 100% don't blame them. And let's see what happens. Look, we still have kind of one more round of preps before we hit the Breeders' Cup. And I think those are going to be big and determine kind of who's coming into this race in really good form. And and you never know at Santa Anita, too. It'll be interesting to see which connections come out early. Always like if a horse kind of gets over the track. Uh, Asmussen usually comes out really early. So it'll be interesting to see. And I know we're not talking about, you know, horses like Echo Zulu and so the others, the Gunite and those horses. It's, it's always great to see them breeze at Santa Anita before the Breeders' Cup. We're going to have so much coverage here and on Owner's Box as well, getting everybody ready. One thing that really happens at the end of these summer meets is attention really starts to turn in earnest to these remaining Challenge Series races, and it all runs up to what I know one of your favorite days of racing is, <laughs> and that's the Breeders' Cup. Absolutely, no. And we had two other winning your ends at Delmar on, on Saturday. I'm sure you're going to talk about them too, and we had interest Indeed. in both of them. Indeed. Well, let's say uh, you pick which one you want to talk about first. You know, let's talk about the green flash because I said going in, I thought that was the best race of the day. Um, and Motorious for my good friend, Tony Fancola and Phil D'Amato just looked awesome. And I think, you know, I don't have the information you have, but I can't imagine uh, he's not at the very top of the Breeders' Cup turf sprint rankings right now. 103 buyer speed figure that is uh, that is some serious stuff there is so much foreign interest potentially in that market that that is where that's where most of the top of market attention is drawn might actually be creating a tremendous opportunity for for a horse like motorious who i'm not even seeing well this isn't updated yet i'm seeing it before the last race gotta be in the betting here it feels to me yeah it feels to me like the horses like even beer can man who was nosed out for second i mean he's our horse he's such a consistent sort he ran awesome at pimlico um came back got beat a nose and a really good allowance race to turn on the jets who ended up i believe fourth in the green flash so he turned the tables on him um so you have some really fast really good california sprinters and remember they don't have to ship this year Santa Anita is the home track for, for many of them. So that's always an advantage, I think, in these types of races. And um, I, I, I think the, even the sprinters in New York, the turf sprinters at least, I heard a rumor that Caravelle might be running in the Philly turf sprint, which is like on October 15th, rather than against the boys um, uh, in, at Keeneland. So I don't know if that means she doesn't go to the Breeders' Cup or I, I think there may be a just – I think people are going to look for weather in Keeneland that week. Um, so it's going to be interesting again, these rounds that lead up to it, but I thought Motorious was visually one of the most impressive winners of the meet. Another important thing to consider for these well-fancied European turf sprinters is this flat five as it's being run 
is not going to be conducive, I don't think, to their style as opposed to these U.S. horses that are going to have the experience over a similar configuration. So definitely. Yeah, I agree. I remember last year I loved um, Highland Princess coming into that race last year, and I thought she'd be right up or on the lead, and she was came from behind and ended up, yeah. I think she ran third that day. And I just was, I was kind of shocked, but it's true. We go a lot faster early than they do there. But I think Amariti Anna, I think her name was, she ran second last year to Caravelle yes. maybe, or he yes. ran second. I always think it's, I always yeah, think he's a boy. Anna, Anna makes you think right. girl, but yeah, he's cool. Right. <laughs> um, but yes, they always come loaded. Believe me, yeah. the Euros are going to be loaded. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk uh, one more there's a couple more stakes races we're gonna we're sure. gonna talk about before we get to the one that I, I know you're you're you're, you're champing <laughs> to, to get to. Um, let's go Tory Pines next though. Uh, grade yeah. three action going a mile for the three year old Phillies ceiling crusher. Pretty nice number given the numbers we've been seeing from from three year olds. This came back in ninety two for the daughter of Mister Big. What were your impressions? I was very surprised by this race. I know they had high hopes for Ceiling Crusher. I had bet against her in her previous start that she was a big favorite that day. She did have some trouble. This was her first time stretching out. And I was concerned about the stretch out. I was concerned about her going too fast. And she just went fast and she just kept going. It was a really, really visually impressive effort by Ceiling Crusher. Um, Don't know if she's at the, like you keep saying, top of the market of three-year-old Phillies, because I know there's some really good ones back east. But um, she ran a, a, a very, very strong race. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a division that's been known for not having great numbers. And if, if that 92 can be improved upon, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at one that might be able to have some valuable prizes next to her name before it's all Absolutely. said and done. Let's talk about Dujour, a horse that uh, – it has has kept on trucking, and uh, this this daughter of Temple City ran a serious number in the Del Mar Mile, one hundred two on the buyer scale for this one. Kind of laid waste to this field, and and some you know some very nice competition on on paper. Is this one do you think as strong as that final figure suggests? Well. Pete, with all due respect, I'm not a big buyer guy anyway. So, um, but he was like Motorious. He was really, really impressive. In fact, all three turf races uh, were impressive. We'll get to the other one in a minute. But Dujour, you know, he had won the wicker from coming from behind with a great trip, got on the inside, and he got a similar trip in the Del Mar Mile. They went pretty quick. Um, Exalted, who was a heavy favorite, who had come off a grade one win, punching his ticket to the Breeders' Cup. Uh, kind of got stuck, didn't have the greatest trip, ended up uh, set running second, and he got kind of jammed uh, turning for home. And horses like Balnikov, he was too close to what was a fast pace for us, uh, just didn't run his race that day. So I think I think Dujour ran really well. He beat a good field. I don't think he beat a great field in that race. Uh, he Does he have a chance in the Breeders' Cup? Sure, why not? Because I think the mile is going to end up being wide open. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. We saw an impressive winner from Chad Brown, that three-year-old Carl Spackler that I know is going to take on older in the uh, in the uh, big race at Keeneland. The, I think it's the Maker's Mark. Um, so it, it's going the, – the, listen, you can't talk about Breeders' Cup mile without talking about Euros, right? Because yes. they usually have the best of the best. I thought Dujure, again, take nothing away. He's had a tremendous meet. He's one, he's one of – Four horses I can think off the top of my head that won two stakes at Del Mar and probably is in contention for uh, for horse of the meet. 
there's going to be some fun Euros supposedly competing in this Breeders' Cup mile too. Paddington's name has been yep. bandied about uh, in Spiral, maybe some Japanese uh, representation in the form of Songline. It looks like it could be a, a, a loaded one, and maybe that is slightly out of what I think du jour is, but let me tell you, it wouldn't be the first time, it wouldn't be the second time that du jour has proved me wrong and kicked sand in my face. So we'll see yep. what happens in that division going forward. As hey, for we didn't mention part- we didn't mention one more thing. We didn't mention Please. Flavian Pratt, who came in to ride du jour and Arabian Night and got them both home. So Amazing. kudos to his agent, Brad Pegram, um, and, and obviously Pratt, who is, I think, in the last two years has cemented his place at the top of the uh, jockey rankings here in, in America. I think that's, I think that's only fair as for Balnikov. Is it a regroup period or, or wait and see what, 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 what are you thinking? You know, we were, I really thought he was going to run a big race. He really likes Del Mar. And unfortunately I think I'm going to call it uh, owner, uh, owner trainer error. We probably should have told Barrios who had never ridden him before to just anchor him in the back. Like he did it. Like he, he ran it in San Francisco and he ran at Keeneland when he won he just what happens is when he gets a little bit into the race, he kind of gets too uh, too aggressive, and so that spoils that really late, amazing late kick he has, that quick turn of foot, and I think we all kind of messed up. So I don't know if he'll regroup, but he may ship out of town for his next start. All right, we'll keep an eye on him for sure and get more insight from you as we go forward. Let's talk about. I, no offense to any of the other runners on this day, but the one who's probably gotten the most uh, airtime between owner's <laughs> box and, and me, and I've tried to continue to uh, proliferate the, his fantastic nickname. I'm talking now about the Del Mar Handicap presented by the Japan Racing Association, this grade two on the turf going a mile and three A's, one by? GFP. <laughs> Gold flipping Phoenix gets the yes. job done. You've got the hat to prove it. Uh, yeah, I think we came back a, a 97, you know, representative, excellent effort from this horse who's just I, I, the, the ride he's allowed you to be on. This has to be another another high point. He's really unbelievable. And, and he's he's doing so well. He's so sharp. Um, I see he loves Del Mar. Uh, and this obviously this is back to back for him, punches his ticket to the Breeders' Cup. Um, you know, we got we got buried in the Breeders' Cup last year. We were probably, I don't even know, we were 30 to one, 25 to one, and, and just got completely buried at Keeneland. I think he's a better horse this year as a five-year-old than he was as a four-year-old. He's so much more relaxed. He's really composed. If you saw him in the paddock for either the Eddie Reed that he won earlier in the meet or the Delmar handicap, he looks so good. His coat was shining. I mean, just looks so healthy and he has so much confidence and it doesn't matter who rides him and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter the pace because it's not like they went you know, blistering uh, out there the other day in the Del Mar handicap. He just bides his time. And JJ Hernandez rode him perfectly. He waited. He was patient. I think we were last turning for home and he just found that wow. scene between horses. He hates changing leads. He likes hanging on his left lead. We, already, we told that to JJ. We just said, don't worry about it. Just let him do what he wants to do. And when he made that run in between horses and he split them, it was, it was so exciting. And we just, Everybody loves this horse. And he, listen, for owners out there too, Gold Phoenix missed his entire three-year-old year with an injury. Um, and and so sometimes you're just, you, you know, you, you pay a lot of money for these horses and you bring them out and it just doesn't work out. But there's still time. I mean, he's living proof um, to win the Del Mar Handicap back-to-back years. And I think that's Phil D'Amato's eighth win in the last 11 years. 
in that race. So that's a, a pretty dominating number. Um, look, who did he beat? I don't know. Planetario and, and awfully not awfully naughty who were both good earlier in the year. Uh, maybe it wasn't the, the classiest field in the world, but guess what? Uh, when you get your check and you punch your ticket to the Breeders' Cup, uh, they don't ask what kind of field you beat. <laughs> and you were. I, uh, actually, he was second to last after the mile, 10th yeah. in the field of 11 after the mile, but, and then uh, just launching that, that, that tremendous But the cool pick. thing about him, Pete, it, the cool thing about him is go back to the Eddie Reed. He was like fifth in the Eddie Reed, which is a mile and an eighth, and which they were yep. going faster. Um, so he really just, he kind of can go wherever he wants. He's really versatile. He won. I mean, look at his, his wins this year. He won the grade one kill row at a mile. He won the Eddie Reed at grade two, Eddie Reed at a mile and an eighth. And he won the Del Mar handicap at a mile and three as grade two. So, I mean, and he also just went over a million dollars in earnings. So how can you not like GFP and there's people who root (laughs) for him. Yes. We have, we had hats made last year that are very popular and, uh, maybe we'll do something with GFP this year again. I love it. So on to the Breeders' Cup and just hope, figure that wasn't, you know, his best day last year. And, and you know, between yeah. what shows up, and, I mean, you, it sounds like you're going with, with, with some optimism that it could be a different end to the, to the season than you, what you saw last year. We have to be we have to be realistic. Um, the Breeders' Cup turf is completely dominated by Europeans, and I'm sure they will send a contingent out here that will be you know, unbelievable. And Gold Phoenix, for anybody who's trying to get in the market right now, he's probably 25 to one or more. Uh, we probably will run in the John Henry as a prep. He's just so sharp right now. It's a mile and a quarter. It'll likely be a smallish field. And, you know, we're already in, so there's really no pressure. Just, you know, probably just let him run around there, let him finish. And if he wins, fantastic. And if he doesn't, you know, we'd love, I'd love to go in on a three-way winning streak to the, to the Breeders' Cup. Look, anything can happen in the Breeders' Cup. We've proven that, uh, and you've seen it over and over again. We just have to be realistic and as excited as we all are and all our partners will be for the Breeders' Cup. I think all of us know that that when <laughs> he'll be up against it when those Euros come into town. 16 to 1 right now, Gold Phoenix, for the Breeders' Cup turf. So definitely some respect based on a horse that has that tactical speed to win at the mile, the stamina to fly home like that at the mile and three ace. It's interesting looking at the top of the market, Billy, there. Mosted off listed as at seven to two, which certainly makes sense. Some whispers of them thinking about Mosted off for the classic after his oh, win good. in the in the That sounds win. like I don't know I don't know if the people who own Mosted off are listening, but that sounds like a great <laughs> idea. I would do that. <laughs> but here's another one though that's yeah. interesting slash intimidating. The other co-favorite right now for the for the for the turf, uh, Equinox. So if, if he actually makes his oh, way oh over, my God. yeah, By fastest the horse in the world candidate, yeah. in, in Equinox. Maybe 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 you wouldn't mind so much if they decide to go for a valuable prize somewhere else in the world. Yes, I think they should absolutely stay home. Uh, I think it's just a, just a waste of a trip for them. Uh, they should not come. Uh, if they're listening, like we love you guys. Uh, you know. Uh, Sanita, you know, not, you know, uh, the, the restaurant weather's terrible. Yeah. yeah the weather's awful. I mean, it's just a so terrible you. place to come. No, have, <laughs> you know, Pete, just give those guys my number and, uh, and, and I'll, I'll talk to them. You know? we'll let you, but we'll even let in the, talk. even in the States, I mean, you saw like what Bolshoi ballet did. Uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, you know, I'm sure channel maker will run in his like 16th straight breeders cup. <laughs> um, you know, there's some big races coming up. I think at Kentucky downs this weekend. So you know, the American contingent will be good, but um, Euros, 
when you and it, it, the funny thing, Pete, is and you and I have spoken about Breeders' Cup before, and you look at these Euros who are running like fourth, eighth, second, and then they come over here and just just run their eyeballs out in this race. They're just they're just better. Yeah, it's their game. It's their yep. it's, it's their game. But you know, I I certainly you know stranger things have happened. Let's put it that way. And absolutely. And, and well, Gold flipping Phoenix, definitely a favorite, a favorite of mine and, and many listeners on the show for all these exploits over the years. Billy, I'll we'll leave it there. Really want to thank you for coming on and talking about these races. I'm sure it was no hardship given the amazing success you guys had, not just this past weekend, but the whole summer. We'll do some more collaborating soon with me, you, JK, and Michelle, and have some fun. Oh, in the run Any Pete, closing thoughts? I, I, I could talk to you all day. Closing thoughts, just really a, a, a heartfelt sincere thank you to all of the trainers hot walkers grooms vets exercise riders the the behind the scenes people who who make this all happen especially for us we have such a great team um and and to all the little red feather partners out there uh who have just like i said flocked to del mar this summer we've had an absolute blast there's been so much fun uh and uh it it, it it's so appreciated i don't know how much more i can say about that i just feel very blessed great stuff billy we'll be talking soon all right pete be good one more important thing before we get out of town and i mean that literally just packing up saratoga as we speak recording this show the last act of work of the summer did want to award our final adelphi performance of the week for saratoga we're going to give it to bright work talked about this race earlier in the show with jk matt was very impressed i was very impressed had the well fancied ways and means to deal with and really just was all class and seizing the tactical advantage and getting the job done what'll happen in a rematch we're gonna have to wait to find out but in terms of performances that made us uh, stand up and feel good about being racing fans the class and talent that bright work has showed this far makes us want to give her the adelphi performance of the week congrats to connections been such a great summer up here with adelphi didn't even get to take full advantage an opportunity when you own these horses to get to go to the barns and see them i was never able to make that happen somehow sounds crazy now as i'm saying it but the experiences during the race days especially with uh, having those runners in it really just had so much emotional value beyond even the nice purse that we were able to get or part of the purse for finishing second early in the meet with gem mid 10 i very much looking forward to continuing to work and learn from my experiences with the Delphi Racing Club. If you're interested in ownership, I couldn't recommend it more. To learn more, go to AdelphiRacing.com. If you have more questions, reach out to me. The contact page over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. That goes straight to my email. Happy to answer any questions and put you in touch with Matt Kater and the team. It's really been a fantastic experience. Once more, if you want to learn more about them, go to AdelphiRacing.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests for their insights and their time. Let's thank our founding partners. What fun it was getting to hang out with so many members of the 10-strike racing team this summer. Always like to root for the purple and black around here. Had some nice uh, winners uh, this meet, including this very weekend. That was fun. Also, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. I did find some more bottles of in-the-money whiskey. If you want to make a $200 donation over at trfinc.org slash players, happy to send you one of the remaining privately labeled bottles of the four-year-old rye, future aged in another four months in apple brandy barrels. Really good stuff. 
always a hit with people. Check it out, trfinc.org slash players. Most of all, though, want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. For In The Money Media, I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.